Good morning, everybody. Happy Independence Day weekend. Thanks for coming. On Tuesday, we'll be celebrating our nation's birthday, and we don't take that lightly. So if you have family or friends or neighbors or coworkers who have served or are serving or first responders, we say thank you. We're grateful and we're thankful. Yeah, give them all a hand. Yes, let's do it. Very worthy for sure. So as a pastor, teaching on 4th of July weekend is always a blast because Memorial Day weekend means summer's here, school's almost out. This represents the middle of the summer and then Labor Day, of course, school's back in and all the parents are all happy and everybody's great again. So this is middle of summer. So we're gonna have a great time today. I have a, a wonderful message for you guys, but I want you to think for a moment of the word believe. Say the word believe. believe. Say it again, believe. believe. In fact, the worship team just sang that song. It was a request that I had because we're gonna talk about what we believe today. And in our world today, we've taken the word believe and we turn it in kind of a, a rally cry is what it is today. Uh, sports teams use them and schools use them and a lot of people use them. I have a picture I want to show you. This is from Golden State Warriors. This is, you guys may remember this, we believe. I showed this to Dale last week and he goes, oh yeah, that was this season. This was our record. This is how we did. This is how far we went. And I was like, I was blown away. So that was our we believe rally cry. Are there any Ted Lasso fans out there? Anybody watch? Yeah, I knew, I knew there'd be several. So Ted Lasso is a, is a TV show that's really taken off and he has the believe sign over the door when the team runs out to the field, the soccer team or whatever they do, and that's their rally cry. So the way I want, to look, want you to look at the word believe today is more of what do you believe? What do we believe as Christians? Hundreds of years ago, Christians came out with something called the Nicene Creed, which we call the Apostles' Creed as well. And when you, we just sang it. If you don't know it, you just sang it. And what it basically says is, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, his Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Those three are one. That's right. It rhymes. That was easy. I know. It'll get harder. Uh, so that's how I want you to think of the word believe today. What do you believe? What do we believe as Christians? So for us as Christians, the Apostles' Creed was for clarification. It was to remind us what we believe. What do we stand for and what do we do? Now, for those of you that are able and willing, this is it. Let me, let me open with, this is a lot of scripture today. If you're able and willing, would you please stand as I read you the passage for today? We'll do it together. You can look silently on the screen. I will read it, but let's go through the scripture for today. Verse 14, here we go. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he said. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. 
When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for a wonderful weekend, a time and a place where we can come together and worship you and praise you and learn about you. Holy Spirit, like a flame, rest upon my tongue. Give me the words you want me to speak. Help everyone here to have soft hearts and open minds to receive the message you have for them today. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Please have a seat. Okay, so last weekend, Pastor Andrew West did an amazing sermon about the transfiguration. And if you didn't see it, go home today, look on YouTube and watch it. But he explained how Jesus was up on the mountain and there were Peter and James and John, his closest disciples. Elijah and Moses showed up for a little while and then they came down. So I'm going to pick up the story today. The narrative is going to begin with they're, they're coming down off the mountain together. You've got Jesus, Peter, James, and John. So the other nine disciples are down in the village below. So leading up to this moment, we're coming down off the transfiguration. So the, 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 the scripture I want to start with is this. When they came down the mountain to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and teachers were arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about, he, he said. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So Jesus, Peter, James, and John are up on the mountain. The, the other nine are down in the village. The, the, this, this desperate man brings his son to the nine disciples. Now, we're going to talk a lot today about this. Jesus is three weeks from the cross right now. So he's done three years of ministry. So the disciples have raised the dead, they've healed the sick, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, paralyzed, all these kind of things. They've already done all that. So this man had belief in them. But the point of the discussion today is the lack of the ability of the disciples to manifest the power that Jesus was able to manifest, particularly with respect to this boy who suffered from demon possession. Now, word had spread throughout all the villages and the cities. They knew who Jesus was. They'd heard about him. They'd, they'd heard about the disciples. They knew what they, what they could do. They knew what they were all about. So I want to start something real quick here. One of the reasons why modern critics reject testimony of the Bible is because they say biblical authors would ascribe to Satan things that we know can be explained without any reference to the supernatural realm, but can simply be explained by natural science and natural problems. What I mean is someone could read this story. A lot of atheists, agnostics, they will read this story and they'll say, no problem. The boy did not have a demon inside of him. He had epilepsy and he had grand mal seizures, and that would fit, that would fit today. So I wanna to talk to you about that right now. The description of this boy's issues fit directly with grand mal seizures and epilepsy. So I'm gonna take you to Matthew 4.24, and in Matthew 4.24, they use the words that were used to describe, this is where he described the miracles that Jesus and the disciples would do. They listed demon possession and seizures and epilepsy as separate, even back in Jesus' day. Verse 24 says this, news about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, 
the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them all. Now, if you take that verse today and you look it up in any version of the Bible, it will always list them separately and apart. Demon possession over here, epilepsy over here, in, in, in more detail, more, even more things that he was able to heal and take care of. So um, the intersection and interaction between the demonic world and the natural world is one that we need to understand with great care. So here's how we're going to start today. So about a month ago, we flew to New York where my youngest child, my son, graduated high school. Praise God. I'm sorry, graduated college. What am I saying? Graduated college. Even better. So we're all out in New York, and my daughter and her husband live in London, okay? And so everyone, after the graduation, everyone went to London to celebrate as a family together. Now, when I travel, whether it's missions work or vacation or whatever the case may be, I love to tour old churches. So in London, I mean, there's just old churches everywhere. I go to St. Paul's. It was amazing. It was wonderful. Some other small churches. But then we get to go to Westminster Abbey. So we're going through Westminster Abbey, and it is, there's just kings and queens and history and, and just all kinds of people are buried there. Ironically, you walk by Charles Darwin's monument in the church and then super ironically, Stephen Hawking was just buried in a church, which is super, it's a head scratcher for me, but okay, they're there. If you keep walking, you'll see all kinds of poets and famous people and all that, but eventually you'll get to this massive thing on the ground of one of my favorite authors. His name is C.S. Lewis. That's a picture of it. It's kind of washed out, but you see the C.S. Lewis on the ground there? That's where he is. Now, there were like thousands of people, and I had to like, hey, clear out. I want to do a picture here real quick, and I got that because I wanted to show you guys. So C.S. Lewis is the guy, a great man of the faith. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote Mere Christianity, but then he also wrote something called the Screwtape Letters. If you haven't read the Screwtape Letters, you need to read it because C.S. Lewis takes... His, his strength of theological brilliance with his fictional writing. And he wrote a book about a demon training his nephew demon and how they think and how they act and what they try to do to Christians to keep them derailed and keep them off track. So the quote for you today from C.S. Lewis is, readers are advised to remember that the devil is a liar. Short, sweet, that's the starting line. So everything we talk about in this message today Reflect back on this. Always remember, the devil is a liar. So when we look at the episode of this young boy who may be suffering from epilepsy, what you need to see throughout Scripture is that when Satan does possess and when Satan does come into a person's life, he uses whatever frailty is already there to exploit power over its victim. So we don't see a conflict between the account here of this young man suffering from a well-known issue but his suffering is made worse by the intervention of the evil one to torment that person even more. The devil offers confusion and chaos. Okay, so the man comes and he's upset. He's frustrated because the disciples could not cast out this demon. They couldn't do it. So Jesus has to minister to the son knowing that the disciples had failed. Now, this is a deeply emotional thing. And, and Dale and I talked about this this week. We're gonna, we're gonna camp on this moment. This man has been dealing with this for a long time. His child is in pain. He's scared for his child. Sit in this for a second. Those of you with kids, if you don't have kids, think of someone that you love dearly because those of us that are parents would do anything for our kids. This man had already tried who knows what to help get his son get help. So he's reaching out to the disciples. Well, G Jesus, Peter, James, and John are up on the mountain. 
So the nine are there. Well, that's the majority. So he asked them to take care of this. The disciples could not do it. Now, it's not uncommon for the followers of Jesus to be powerless when Christ is absent. This is the, one of the reasons that the day of Pentecost is so important. Pentecost hadn't happened yet. So remember, we're three, three weeks to the cross right now in the story. So Pentecost hasn't happened, which means the Holy Spirit hadn't come down yet. Jesus is saying, I'm going to go away, not just for a couple days, but I'm, but I'm going to go away, and I'm leaving the planet. I'm going to my Father's house, but I won't leave you alone. Go to Jerusalem. Wait there till I send the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You receive power, and that is my presence to be with you and in you. Okay, that hadn't happened yet. We're at this t- between state. So even though Jesus is no longer present with us after Pentecost, he's never totally absent. The issue here focuses on the disciples' inability to do the things that Jesus was able to do. Now, one of the great things that we get to do as a staff, with Dale leading the team, Dale and Danny and Christy and I get to meet once a week with Dale, and we just chew on these verses. And we, we discuss them, we walk through them, we talk about them. And one of the reminders that they had for us in this message is this. Remember, the first section of Mark is being with Jesus. The second section is focusing on being like Jesus. That's why we call it what he said, what he did. All of this is new for the disciples. So they're learning, they're practicing, they're trying so that they can eventually do what Jesus did. That's the whole goal. We are following the model that they set, that Jesus set for us. Verse 19, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, does that sound like the Jesus we always teach you guys? I was just shaking her head. I'm like, let that sink in, okay? He's three weeks to the cross. He's been doing this for three years. He has raised the dead. He's done all these things. People have seen it. People know it. He's frustrated. He's frustrated. He knows his time is almost up. And yet his closest schoolmates, the nine disciples, could not do this. You unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay? I had, to, I had to camp on this a lot. I'm like, Jesus is, you know, loving, encouraging, inspiring, motivating, and all that kind of stuff. In this moment, sense his frustration. Jesus is not only lamenting the power, the lack of the power the disciples had, but it was the lack of faith, faithless generation. Jesus is arguing that how long do I have to keep doing this? Disciples, you have seen what angels get to see, and yet you're still lacking faith. So obviously this weighed heavily on Jesus. The fact that he had to exhibit all this fortitude, even with his students, uh, not to mention the multiple hundreds and thousands of people, I know it weighed heavily on him. People still walked around without faith. Faith is a gift from God, not something that we can generate on our own, that ultimately it will produce trust, confidence, loyalty, and allow us to follow Jesus. Verse 20, so they brought him, the boy, When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. We're going to pause there. You guys have heard for almost a year now the stories in Mark. Normally when Jesus walks up and there's demons, the demons, we know who you are. They know who each each other is before we even knew, okay? Demons normally beg for mercy. Please throw us into the pigs. Don't destroy us. They're negotiating because they know who Jesus is. Look at this. Normally when that happens, it's over. But look carefully at verse 20. They brought the boy to Jesus. When the spirit saw Jesus, it threw the boy into another convulsion, fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming the mouth. Demon's not done. He is in the presence of Jesus, and he's not done. 
So this is another level, okay? This is a, this is a, this is a big deal. We'll, we'll unpack this together. Jesus then at that moment looks over to the father and he says, how long has he been like this? The father says, from childhood. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now we're going to sense another moment of frustration with Jesus. So I'm going to read that again. The man says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus says, if you can? Can you, can you feel it? What do you mean if I can? Are you kidding? They've seen him do all these miracles for three years. So again, we're sensing his frustration. If I can, Jesus says, everything is possible for one who believes. Sensing a theme today? Okay, there you go. Faith comes from the word of God. It's God who creates faith in the doubting heart. This man in the presence of Jesus, the author of faith, and Jesus simply looks at him and he says, trust me. He had every reason to believe without making any decision that Jesus did have the power to do something, but the man wasn't sure that Jesus was compassionate enough to use that power to heal his son. So he responds in honesty and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, but I don't. I believe, but I'm just not sure. And when you take that narrative, this narrative is so important because everybody here, Calvary Online, everybody here in this room who's a Christian, we all have some authentic level of faith. It's in our hearts. But the level of our faith is not constant. There's moments in this world when we are assaulted by the enemy and sometimes our faith is barely hanging on. And you make the prayer that this guy prayed. Now, I was talking to my son a couple weeks ago about this and he goes, man, the, the faith thing, Dad, it sounds, like, it sounds like how we deal with Wi-Fi today. I was like, where is this? This is going to be good. I, I can tell. He's like, yeah, when you're walking away from the power source of the Wi-Fi and your signal gets bad, you know, your, 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 your signal is waning. It's going away. It gets weaker and weaker and weaker. And I'm like, okay, this might work. I might use this. It's the power source. When we are close to God, when we're reading our Bible, we're going to church, we're hanging out with people who hold us accountable, we're worshiping, we're close to the source. The source is God, the Word of God. But when we get away from that power source, our faith begins to wane. We can have moments of, I believe, but I don't. I'm just not sure, God. And so how do we, how do we resolve this? What do we do in our lives? For many of you, or for a lot of you know, I always say this, I, I, I'm a one-year Bible guy every morning, 5 a.m., coffee, one-year Bible. A lot of you tell me worship is your thing. A lot of you love to worship. A lot of you are in community groups. You're in small groups. You're attending church. You're doing these things to stay close to the source so that your signal or your faith doesn't wane. This man says, I believe, but mixed in that is my unbelief. My belief isn't perfect. It's not pure. It may be weak. I need help. Help me with my unbelief. We can all believe, but we struggle with our daily lives, wondering how's this going to work. Each and every day, we'll all have a moment of prayer. Man, God, I love you. I'm with you. I feel you. I'm listening to you. I'm all about you. And in the next moment, I can, I can look at like a bill on the table and say, this is never going to work, or whatever the case may be. We tend to be strong in the moment, but immediately we can shift out and lose faith when we lose focus and we get away from the source. So when you are assaulted with doubts and your faith is waning, go to the source, go to the word of God. We're going to do a big series in the fall on the disciplines and, and how to stay close to Christ. But whatever that is for you, only you know what works for you, you know. A lot of you got onto the Lectio app that we shared with you guys, Lectio 365. It's an app on your phone. 
Some of you say, I don't like to read. Well, you, you tap this app and then the Bible is read to you. Eight or nine minutes every morning, a couple minutes in the evening. Whatever it is for you, whatever works for you to keep you close to the source, you need to do that. Um, a famous author, N.T. Wright. So in the back here, um, we have, a, we have a, a bookshelf on the wall over there. And I don't know if you know this or not, but every month we change those books. And that's for you. So this month, one over there is N.T. Wright writing on the book of Mark. And so I've got a quote from him. He says, the gospel should transform the, one, the whole of one's life so that the outward signs of faith express a living reality that comes from the deepest parts of your personality. Now, I also have a quote from Dale that I like. Dale has a version of this that's shorter. And he says, it's not about external behavior modification, but it's about internal heart transformation. How do we do that? We stay close to the source. We stay close to God's word. There's no time in my life when my faith is stronger than when I'm immersed in the word of God. Staying close to the word, listening to the promises of God, remembering the things that he has done and does for us. These are things that build a powerful faith that will not let you down in the midst of afflictions. This man knew where to look for an increase in faith. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. He said, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked. Notice it's still not done. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many thought he was dead. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him his feet, and stood up. Oh, there's so much in there. So this, the, the, the demonic being went at the kid even again. And notice that Jesus added, leave him, but you may never come back. Remember the story about when the demons left and then they came back seven times stronger? That's why he did this, to make sure that he never came back to the child. The father looked at his son in wholeness. He looked at Jesus and he was filled with faith because Jesus did what he said he would do. That's what creates faith. We do this in our own lives by remembering what we have gone through and reflect on how God showed up. Looking in your past, looking, looking back to see, I can see where God came through here, 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 and here. In the Old Testament, people would make monuments. In fact, all the monuments you read about in the Old Testament where they'd, they'd pile up rocks when God, you know, separated the river here or he did a miracle here or, you know, Elijah, Mount Carmel, whatever. They would build these massive rock monuments so that they could look back and remember why they have faith. God is perfectly trustworthy. He's never broken a promise and he never will. He does not know how to betray his people. So this is what makes it possible for us to worship God, despite whatever circumstance we may be experiencing. He remains good, loyal, and true, even if our world feels like it's falling apart. Verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this guy can only come out through prayer. Now, we've told you so many stories in Mark. Isn't it awesome? This is how I visualize this. Always after the miracle happens, it's kind of like Jesus says, all right, huddle up, huddle up. And here it is. He huddles them up after it's all done. The crowd leaves and the disciples are like, what happened, man? What do we do wrong? What, what's the deal? Jesus simply replies, this kind can only come out by prayer. Now, a lot of manuscripts say this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. Okay? So you can go either way on that. Many of them say both. This kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. What he's saying here is stuff that we already know but might not have been something that the nine were doing while Jesus, Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain. We need to think about that. 
Why couldn't they drive this demon out? Let me refresh your memory, okay? We're going to go back a few months uh, to Mark 6.13. We know they were able to drive out demons. Mark 6.13 says they drove out many demons. So we know something changed. As the disciples grew in their faith, it's not that life gets easier. It might actually be that the closer we get to Jesus, the harder life can get. This is a different kind of evil than the disciples had previously come up against. But Jesus, notice, didn't do anything different. He didn't go and do anything. He just right there did it. Nothing different in the way he drove out this evil spirit. He cast it out the same way he always does. So Jesus is teaching them to be more like him, which is what this section of Mark is focused on, what he said, what he did. There are spiritual practices that create an inner life that is strong enough to overcome a stronger kind of evil. Let me explain. So the strength of our faith, the strength of our prayers, you, you, you can't put it on autopilot. I'll go through a one-year Bible with somebody and it'll be like, whew, done. Close her up, put it on the shelf, I am done. And then I say on January 1, actually you pull it back down, you start over. You got to keep going. I've been doing this for 27 years. So that's what works for me. I recently bought a one-year Bible for my father, and now we get to go through it in the mornings together. I'll send him the verse. I send the verse to all my kids. I don't know if my kids just delete it. I don't know, but I'm planting seeds, okay? I'm doing it for me. But the point is this. You can never put your prayer, your worship, your small group, your community groups, whatever, on autopilot. When we face a formidable foe, it's not enough simply to depend on the reservoir of faith we have in our souls. Let's talk reservoirs. I'm new here, Lexington Reservoir. Y'all know where that is. Y'all probably see it all the time. That thing was like empty a year ago. I mean, just down to nothing. And so as Dale and I are talking about the message this week, he's like, Rod, Lexington Reservoir, it's perfect. Use it. So as the water leaves the reservoir, the level of the lake goes down. As you're constantly letting water, wherever, wherever we're sending it to, I don't know, but it's coming out, the lake goes down. If you're not replenishing at the same time you're sending it out, the lake's going to go low. This is the point that Jesus was making with his nine disciples. As they stay close to the source, as they learn, as they pray, as they worship, as they listen, that fills the reservoir. But as you're ministering and you're going through life and you're going through problems and you're helping family and you're helping people and you're helping friends, your reservoir of faith will go down. you got to keep that coming in fresh. How do we do that? Read the Bible, go to church, worship, listen, pray, small groups, all those kinds of things, Bible studies. Everything that we have here to offer at Calvary Church, get involved with it. Enjoy. I got a quote from Tim Keller I want to read you guys um, and as, we, as we're wrapping up the message. He says this. He says, we can be sure our prayers are answered precisely in the way we would want them to be answered if we knew what God knows. Prayer is an extension of the greatness and glory of God in our lives. Prayer is both conversation and an encounter with God. It gives us relief from the melancholy burden of self-absorption. The basic purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will to mine, but to mold my will to his. Jesus was the great meditator who delights in doing God's will and prays day and night. I want to take a moment and talk about prayer. Uh, a lot of you have asked how you can enhance your prayer life. What can you do? You know, you can read the Bible on your own. You can worship, listen to music, whatever, but, but prayer. So every Friday morning right here in this chapel at 830, we have a team that arrives to pray. 
you're all invited. You're all welcome. Well, Rob, I work Friday. I can't make it. No problem. At 8.15 on Sunday morning, right here, we did it this morning, we have prayer. You're all invited. There's more. Every service at 9 and 11, and we're going to do this right now, we have ministry folks who, who just specialize in prayer. They're so good at it. And they will be at these pillars right here every Sunday at the 9 and the 11. I would encourage you, after you do communion or listen to worship, stop by and pray with them. That's what they do, and they're very good at it. And if you don't think you need prayer, pray for someone else, family member, friend, pray with them. One more level of this. Calvary, I know you've been here a long time. A lot of you have been here, man, 10, 20, 30 years, 40 years, whatever the case may be. We have a relatively new course called the Prayer Cohort. If you haven't done the Prayer Cohort, you can sign up next month, and it's going to get in the fall semester. So pastoring in my 27th year or 28th year, one of those two, I took that cohort last year. It changed my prayer life, okay? So let that, let that speak to you. If you have not signed up for our prayer cohort, I encourage you to do that, okay? Those are five levels of prayer. Take advantage of those. As we close this out, close out the message, what I want to ask you guys is how many of you believe today? Who believes today? Who believes that Christ is who he says he is, did what he said he did, has the power to cast out demons and cause the blind to see, the deaf to hear, he can, he can, he can cure epilepsy, he can give paralyzed people new life. He can do all those things. That's why we've been studying all of all the book of Mark, understanding what he said and understanding what he did. I'm going to take a moment, Calvary, and I'm going to ask you, I'm going to invite you to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Many of you have already become Christians. If you have, that's great. Pray for others and pray for those. Calvary Online, this is to you too. Pray for them as well. But if you're not sure or if you want to invite Christ into your heart and into your life and make him your Lord and Savior, Pray this prayer with me right now. Silently between you and God, just pray with me. Heavenly Father, thanks for a great day. Thank you for loving me. Jesus, I admit that sometimes I sin and make bad choices. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I choose to invite you into my heart and into my life, and I make you my Lord and Savior. Amen.